From the grounds of the University of Arkansas Little Rock, this is KUAR News Week in Review podcast. Coming up. In the state's capital, the 91st General Assembly convenes tax cuts, partisan power plays, marijuana, and dinosaurs. And in the nation's capital, the first steps to repeal the Affordable Care Act. What could it mean for Arkansas? This Monday could be the last time Arkansas celebrates Martin Luther King Jr. on the same day as Robert E. Lee. But will anyone step up to lead the charge to separate the two? The news from the week that was and what could it mean for the week that will be? That's all coming up. So, real busy week. A lot of it kind of ceremonial, though, is the start of the 91st General Assembly. They convened on Monday. Most of the action, though, is going to play out in the next 60 to 90 days or so. Let's start off towards the beginning of the session, Chris, if that's all right with you. It's fine with me. Okay. Uh, We forgot to introduce ourselves. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I host Morning Edition. I'm Chris Hickey. I am a reporter. All right. There we go. We did it. Uh, so uh, the beginning of the start of the session, when it convened, the second day, actually, the governor gave his State of the State address, maybe not as well televised as the State of the Union address, typically uh, given by the President of the United States, but it's mm-hmm. the State of the State address by the governor. It streams online. You can watch <laughs> it there. Right. Okay. So uh, the governor kind of had some overarching themes in his, in his address. It was about 20 minutes or so. And, but his main theme that was that he said that we're living in an era of rapid change, and he cited uh, Winthrop Rockefeller's state of the state speech when he was sworn in as a Republican governor all those years ago, saying that this. But unlike then, he says today's change is uh, unprecedented because it's more uh, quick than ever before. While change defines our place in history, we must not be driven by the wind. We must be anchored and confident that our character and values will shape the future of Arkansas. Bordering on poetry from the governor. Uh, Throughout the rest of his remarks, though, he kind of had some slight rebukes of Trumpism, in a way, I'd say, even though the governor clearly supports Donald Trump in some aspects. He said that we're in an era of international and global trade. We must not shy away from that. Arkansas and he will continue to solicit international investors and that the way to succeed is to embrace that, those challenges and to, and to really work for them. Uh, but also uh, towards the opening, this is actually day one, the opening of it, the Speaker of the House, Jeremy Gillum, he gave some remarks, uh, kind of echoed the governor's sentiments that uh, we must be very civil in this Trump era, so without no one ever mentioned him. They never have, and the speaker didn't mention Democrats or Republicans specifically in partisan terms, but he said that he really wants to make sure that uh, the civility sticks around this session. For the first time in over two decades, we have an opportunity to maximize the potential of our institutional knowledge. It is our responsibility to apply that knowledge to overcome the challenges that we face. Our branch of government can once again grow roots of stability. We have been given an opportunity to lead, and we cannot afford to squander it. And he was kind of referring to the era of extended term limits that they're operating under. For instance, he's the uh, only the fifth speaker in the history of the legislature to be Speaker of the House for two consecutive sessions in a row. And uh, there's several... Well, actually, let's, let's keep going with the speaker. Lincoln said he felt he had no right to deprive the country of its strongest minds simply because they sometimes disagreed with him. We have that opportunity before us now. So calls from the Speaker of the House, Jeremy Gillum, a Republican from Judsonia, as well as Governor H. Hutchinson, calling for civility to include people. But, uh, Chris, there's also some efforts that seemed kind of to run counter to that. 
Well, yeah, for one, uh, I think when the speaker announced the committee chairmanship assignments, um, there were a number of uh, committee chairmans announced uh, who were at least uh, who were uh, people who switched parties after the November general election from three, yeah, three Democrats. Yeah, yeah three Democrats of who uh, switched to the Republican Party. Oh, actually, sorry, two Democrats switched after the November election to the Republican Party were awarded chairmanships. The third Demo- the third former Democrat who got the char- party chairmanship had switched before the election. Oh, okay. Um, and that, and there was also a resolution passed in the House um, that would change the way committee assignments were made for members of the House, uh, from a seniority system to one in which the Speaker of the House um, essentially chooses what assignment uh, any of the, or what committee any of the 100 or so uh, members of the House uh, have mm-hmm. to serve on. And this, uh, that particular bill got quite a bit of debate. It passed overwhelmingly, 75 to 23, mm-hmm. with uh, one present vote mostly along partisan lines, although there were a few Republicans who joined the dissenters and there were a few Democrats who uh, voted for the resolution. Um, Gillum was the sponsor of that resolution and he made the argument that about 44 other states uh, choose committee assignments in their House of Representatives in this way. Um, He said it would be a way for members to get committee assignments based upon their skills or their knowledge or their expertise. He says that doesn't often happen when uh, the seniority system is in place. So for instance, a freshman lawmaker who's in the insurance business can't get a place on the insurance and commerce committee because um, you know a bunch of other lawmakers who uh, have been in the house for uh, several years uh, have you know, preference for that kind of committee assignment. But there's also kind of some lingering issues uh, after the election when committee assignments were made for this session. Uh, there was kind of a play by Democrats to get a slim majority on the Revenue and Taxation Committee. Back when it was by seniority, they could they coordinated to stack that committee. Yeah, uh, it's a 20-member committee. Uh, they got 11 seats on the committee. Uh, nine were filled by Republicans, although later on, uh, the chairman of that committee, Joe Jett. Um, He's one of those who switched parties. Yeah, he was one of the ones who switched from the Democrat. The other one was Jeff Wardlaw of Hermitage and Mike Holcomb of Jefferson County. Joe Jett is uh, from somewhere in northeast Arkansas. Success. Success, Arkansas. And he's a pilot. I didn't know that. And his name is Jett, so it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me actually play one thing um, from the Democratic minority leader, Michael John Gray. Um Jeremy Gillen, the House Speaker, was asked if those three Democrats who defected were rewarded, essentially, with committee chairmanships. The Speaker said, oh, absolutely not. That's just a coincidence. For instance, Jed was already the chairman of the committee anyway. Um, Michael John Gray, though, he, he didn't really believe the Speaker on that one. It was not unexpected. A couple of them for the last year, we knew that they probably were angling for a chairman position. There will be a lot said about that, but really it didn't catch us off guard. So maybe um, maybe the sting was lessened because we were prepared for it a little bit. So there you go. 
Yeah, and um, so, yeah, when this uh, seniority versus speaker appointment system um, came up uh, before the floor of the House, there was a lot of debate uh, from both sides of the aisle. If you want to get an entertaining kind of view, uh, you can watch uh, State Representative Kim Hendren, Republican from Northwest Arkansas. Um, the father his- of Jim Hendren, the Senate Majority Leader, all related to the Governor Hutchins. Yes, uh, give a kind of impassion. And Jeremy Hutchinson's one of their nephews. A lot of Hutchinson people in the legislature. Yeah, uh, so he gave an, an impassioned and quite entertaining uh, argument against. Um, he's a Republican. Um, John Walker, Democrat from Little Rock, also spoke against the bill. Basically, they're arguing that the the bill or the resolution, the House, the rule basically for the House, which required a two-thirds vote, gave the speaker too much power and the speaker uh, would be able to uh, in the future uh, kind of, I guess, use that position to, uh, you know, uh, do whatever he wants in terms of committee assignments because um, it includes now chairpersons as well as members. Although the rule does not take effect until after uh, Jeremy Gillum is uh said he would leave his post in 2019. So. Right. And uh, I was on Arkansas Week on ATN earlier this morning with Ernie Dumas, a longtime columnist for Arkansas Times and the paper and others. And his perspective on this, because he's been covering the legislature since the late 50s, was that back in the day, Speaker of the House was kind of more of a ceremonial position. It was like a nice guy that everybody liked. They let him be Speaker. It had to be somebody that wanted to work all day because the other ones could leave <laughs> in the middle of the session if they want. But if you're speaker, you have to stay up there and do more stuff. And he said that back then, until very recently, most of the power was all in the chairmanships of the committees where most of the action actually happens. And so here we have it. And that was a seniority-based system more so. So there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. And the session opened kind of with the specter. We talked about a little bit the last podcast of the uh, General Improvement Fund being abused criminally by at least one state representative, former state representative Mike O'Neill, who admitted as much in an FBI plea agreement. John Woods, a state senator from Northwest Arkansas, is implicated in that, as are a lot of people. And even if the system is used properly, it still seems to essentially be legislators using it as a pork barrel kind of fund. I Go back to the last podcast if you want a more thorough explanation of the general improvement fund, but let me just get to the, get to the cuts. Um, there are many different ethics bills that Democrats have proposed in a slate of them, none of which really address general improvement funds. But the specter of ethics was hanging over the sh- shadowing over the opening of the session. Michael John Gray, the minority leader from Augusta, he basically said it's a high priority for them to try to do something about ethics reform. Ethics is not a partisan thing, right? It doesn't matter if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat. You have to operate. Um, the people put trust in you to put you here. You have to operate. At a, at a certain level of, of ethical and decorum. And, and frankly, if you take a bribe, the party shouldn't matter. You should, you should go to jail. And uh, Mike O'Neill, in the plea agreement, said that he steered general improvement funds the way he did and took the kickback because he understood it as the culture of the General Assembly, that that's the way it is, so he was just going to do it too. Uh, it was a, I think it was a KTV reporter asked Speaker Gillum at a press conference after the House opened about that, saying this, he said he grew up in this culture. You also enter the House of Representatives at the same time as Mike O'Neill. And Gillum said, you know what, That's not, it wasn't his experience. He believes 
that it was an anomaly, it was just a few legislators, that generally ethics, the ethics situation is good. I asked him, do you, you know, do you think there is room for improvement? And he said that pretty much the way ethics oversight works now uh, is satisfactory. We're in a good position moving forward, but we're going to be open to ideas and we're going to be open to talking uh, with the members and kind of seeing uh, where we're at moving forward. But even as I talk to, to folks around the state as I've traveled, uh, you know, interacting with uh, different civic groups and, and, and groups around over the last couple of years, the state seems to feel like we're in a really good position. So ethics in the Arkansas legislature, at least in the House, pretty good, says Jeremy Gillum. Uh, let's move on a little bit to the big ticket item, at least the beginning of the session, something the governor and Republicans will hail as a big accomplishment. The governor wants a $50 million income tax cut for low-income Arkansans below $21,000 a year. Uh, your your rate will drop from anywhere between 0.4% to a total of a 1% for that income bracket. It costs $50 million. Uh, he hopes to offset that in part by raising taxes on manufactured homes by eliminating exemption. He also wants to have uh, an income tax exemption for military veterans. Uh, there's been some opposition or a little bit of pushback from members of his own party who've wanted a much larger income tax cut that would take effect sooner, that would maybe benefit wealthy Arkansans. The highlight of the 2015 session was a $100 million tax cut for middle income and upper, upper income earners. But state revenue pictures have not been not really too far behind, but maybe not as rosy or as optimistic as people had hoped going into the session. For instance, Bart Hester, among others, including Charlie Collins. Bart Hester's Republican from Cave Springs in northwest Arkansas. He's the Senate Majority Whip this year also. Uh, he wanted a $100 million tax cut initially, but he said he's actually pretty good with what the governor promised, which included creating a Blue Ribbon Tax Commission, which would be appointed by the Speaker of the House, the Governor, Minority Leader, Majority Leader. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so that would study future, more comprehensive tax cuts. So it's kind of a promise that the governor wants to do bigger cuts in the future. Let's just figure that out a little bit later. If we get behind what he's wanting this time, he's saying, hey, he's going to create this, what I'm calling a Red Ribbon Commission. We're a red state. I'm going to call it a Red Ribbon Commission now. But uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic that uh, with the governor's support, we can do an overall comprehensive look at corporate tax, income tax, any type of subsidies or exemptions, looking at an overall reform, and uh, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. So that kind of reminded me of the health care task force back when they tried to kill the private option by continuing it. They had, a lot of the promises for bigger reforms are put off into that task force, and people believe that the task force would carry out that ultimate mission. Um, the getting rid of that exemption for manufactured homes does have um, considerable opposition, though, there are a lot of House members, a lot of them appear to be newer House members, but I guess we'll find out more about that, who don't want to get rid of that exemption because it's essentially raising taxes on manufactured homes. Meanwhile, there's a competing measure, I guess, by Democratic State Representative Warwick Sabin to um, create a earned income tax credit for those low-income earners. As opposed to lowering their marginal rate. Yeah, mm -hmm. and he says, and he filed this in 2015, it had some support, Bipartisan support, Jake Files, a Republican from Fort Smith, I believe, a senator. He's co-sponsored uh, co it this year. And, uh, you know, I asked, Saban, I asked Saban about this. I said, are they really competing or could they both pass? And he said, they're competing in the sense that there's only so much room to have tax relief for people in the state budget because it's really packed. But he said they could theoretically both work. Uh, I read an article by 
The Arkansas Times, Lindsay Miller, started some sort of new media enterprise, which I can't remember all the descriptions on the top of my head, but it's a nonprofit news The Arkansas network. Nonprofit yes. News Network or something. Yeah, and they have a reporter up at the Capitol, Ibi Caputo, perhaps, and she posted her first article this week, and it, it detailed the earned income tax credit. And uh, I think Charlie Collins and Bart Hester and a few of these other people who are the big names on tax cuts, they kind of rejected it. They said that earned income tax credit is not as good as lowering the tax rate the, the way they want to. So seems like it'll be a steep battle for Warwick Saban. But he said people of Arkansas deserve to see the best ideas presented just to keep them, I guess, in the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, some action on medical marijuana. There's going to be like 100 bills filed on medical marijuana. The reason is... The voter-approved constitutional amendment delegated some powers to the state legislature, some for them to fill in the gaps, others for them to alter. Yeah, that's right. And all of them are sponsored by all the bills related to medical marijuana are sponsored by Douglas House, a representative Republican out of North Little Rock. Uh, Two of his bills advanced out of committee this week. One would kind of extend the deadline uh, for state agencies to um, come up with rules and regulations for medical marijuana. In the original amendment, there's a 120-day deadline. This bill by House extends that deadline to 180 days. So instead Mm -hmm. of uh, March, uh, we get a deadline for early May, which kind of puts, pushes back uh, the, you know, the time, obviously, that medical marijuana amendment and all the, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, associated uh, features Licensees of it. Licensees for distributors and cultivation centers and applications. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's because the Medical Marijuana Commission is still trying to figure out the regulations. Person. Yeah, that's right. And um, so that one uh, went forward. It will likely be taken up by the larger House probably sometime next week. Uh, another bill by House, uh, House the person, not House the body. <laughs> State, rep- State, State Representative rep- Douglas House from North Little Rock. Yes, um, would uh, do away with this provision of the amendment that requires uh, doctors to certify that the patients who would get a prescription, that the benefits of the drug outweigh the risks. And House told reporters it was a needless requirement. Essentially, the physician says this patient has this particular condition, cancer multiple sclerosis, something like that. That's as far as the physician needs to go. What conversations that physician may choose to have with her patient, that's between her and her patient. State is not going to dictate that conversation, which essentially we're doing. Besides that, the physician has has no medically, widely accepted medical standard to have that conversation. They may have an opinion, but so may the, the fellow down at the local shop that's dispensing it. There are actually computer programs out there where you can enter your condition, your weight, your height, your age, and it'll say, you know, take two drops until uh, for two hours, repeat every two hours, or start smoking till you feel better. It, it can be as quick as, you know, uh, different opinions, different approaches. So he said removing that certification requirement would essentially make it easier, actually, for patients to obtain a prescription because the physicians wouldn't have to weigh the risks and benefits. 
Um, he's the sponsor, as I mentioned, of some other bills, and some of those other bills would add criminal background checks for people who um, try to obtain a subscription or a prescription. Uh, it would also there's another bill to create a licensure requirement for transporters or any other people, any other entities that handle medical marijuana, other than patients, and. Um, also clarifying what kinds of felony offenses would prevent patients from qualifying for a registry card for medical marijuana. So those bills uh, he deferred, uh, there's some issue with the language of them, but we'll likely see them come back up later I bet, in the I session. I bet there'll be some good discussion about the criminal background check one. Are there other medications where you can't get it if you have a criminal record where you're denied medicine? That's a good question. I don't know of any off the top of my head. All right. Uh, there's tons of, there's going to be like two, th uh, if the last three sessions are any indication, they're going to be over 2,000 bills filed, possibly 2,500 bills filed this session. Uh, so far, there's only been 300 or 400, thankfully. <laughs> Chris and I have been trying to go through a lot of them. You can find some uh, debriefs at KUAR.org. We'll continue to update that. Real quick, a few of them. Uh, Democrat Clark Tucker, who's always cast as sort of a bright, shining, young beacon of the Democratic Party. At least he can win in Little Rock. <laughs> uh, he, he last year, to some success, but ultimately failure, and this year again has filed a paid maternity leave bill only for state employees. Pretty limited uh, conservative effort for, for state employees. When it costs that much money, I think it was less than a million dollars. For uh, So... And in response, Republican Missy Irvin from uh, uh, Mountain View or Mountain Home, she has a big difference, Mountain View, <laughs> um, she filed a bill also for paid leave for state employees. Uh, one of the differences, the huge difference is it wouldn't just be guaranteed paid leave. Instead, it would be they would have to get the days through a bank of donated hours into a catastrophic fund from other state employees. So it's cheaper for the state, basically. Mm -hmm. Clark Tucker, uh, Max Brantley, the Arkansas blog, thought it was kind of a dirty way to submarine Clark Tucker because we can't pass a Democrat's bill and <laughs> give him credit for doing anything and and because it's cheaper. But uh, Clark Tucker graciously on Facebook, I guess in the era of knowing a Democrat's place in the Republican-held legislature, said he full-heartedly supports that. He said something – I wish I had the specifics in front of me. He said along the lines of clearly it means – these type of ideas are being embraced by different sorts of people. So even though it's not the exact same system of delivering this paid maternity leave, it's not the same type of paid maternity leave, the idea that a mother, and it's a shorter time period, amount of weeks in Missy Irvin's bill, the idea that a mother should be home with their child after childbirth is uh, catching on. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, let's move on to the Affordable Care Act, the U.S. Congress. Right, Chris, there was a late-night vote in the U.S. Senate this week. I believe it was on a Thursday. We're taping this on Friday. We're uh, along partisan lines. The U.S. Senate voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act without an immediate replacement anywhere in sight, at least in legislative form or certainly being drafted or filed. Uh, as expected, U.S. Senator Tom Cotton and U.S. Bo uh, Senator John Bozeman of Arkansas voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act without having that plan right there immediately in place. Also this week, though, there's some implications, especially for Arkansas, which uh, in addition to many of the ways the Affordable Care Act affects the state, over 330,000 people got insurance through Medicaid expansion. That's part of the ACA. So Governor Asa Hutchinson uh, sent a letter uh, to federal officials and to Washington, D.C., saying that any replacement, which he hopes is a block grant form, 
that any replacement have funds to cover many of the people, the 300,000 people insured by the Affordable Care Act. There hasn't been that same kind of commitment explicitly from John Bozeman or Tom Cotton that they want Medicaid expansion's population to continue to be covered. So we'll follow this throughout the beginning of the Trump administration. We'll see what if the Affordable Care Act is repealed, what it's replaced with, and what's going to happen to, oh, I guess hundreds of thousands of people in Arkansas as a result of it all. Okay, back to the Statehouse, Chris. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Robert E. Lee Day is Monday, 2015. Uh, this was a big issue. Yeah, that's right. And it came up in a committee, uh, the state agency's committee, the separation of the two days, uh, Robert E. Lee Day and Martin Luther King Day. There was a bill filed by a uh, Republican at the time, I think now, uh, now an independent, no longer a legislator, yep. Nate Bell, um, to separate the days. There was another bill, I believe, to eliminate Robert E. Lee Day completely. I think that was Charles Blake's bill. Fred Love. Uh, it was Fred Love of Little Rock, Democratic state representative. And both of them uh, failed to get out of the committee. There was a lot of heated debate in that committee. Jacob, I think you were, were there for a lot of it. Uh-huh. I watched some of it, but. Uh, yeah, State Representative John Walker was called a colored brother by a, by a former judge <laughs> who was opposed to separating the days. The committee chair, Richard Womack of Arkadelphia, said that was fine with him. He didn't see any problems with it. So tons of, tons of tension. Yeah, tons of tension. It never got out of the committee, but since that point, Governor Asa Hutchinson has been um, an advocate for separating the two days, at least, uh, moving the Robert E. Lee Day to some time in the fall, I believe. And uh, a number of other legislators, I think the Senate President Jonathan Dismang has expressed Mm -hmm. support for separating the two days. But in the House, it's still probably going to be contentious. I think Jeremy Gillum, the House Speaker, has not said whether or not he supports it. He said he's going to talk to constituents during the weekend to figure it out. Right. But so far, no legislator has come forward with a bill or with this session with a bill that separates the two days, although there's been a lot of talk. Mm. Uh, No sponsor of a bill yet. All right. uh, Well, I talked to Charles Blake, who was one of the co-sponsors with Nate Bell on that first effort to dislodge Lee from Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, Blake gave the opening speech at the time uh, to a room full of people that included members of the League of the South, a Southern white nationalist group that doesn't believe black people should be full citizens. Um, I asked him, uh, Blake about some lessons learned and if he's open to the compromise idea of keeping the Lee holiday but just moving it. Well, you, you know, last last time it was a, a bipartisan effort with, with Representative Nate Bell and myself, and and then Representative Love had had a bill as well. So it was it was oh, a couple of efforts it all for to get us. it and, and, I, <laughs> and, and that's 2015. And I remember having a conversation with the governor's office the next year that that um, that our, our climate and environment has has changed, and I and I'm not sure if everyone would be as as receptive of setting up a separate day for Martin Luther King and Robert E. Lee. Um, I, I think what needs to happen is, is if there needs to be a separate day for Robert E. Lee, then just move, move, move the Robert E. Lee day. I mean, Martin, Martin Luther that's King, that's, if, you wanna, if, if you wanna move Robert E. Lee, put it, bring it to, to, the, to the floor and, and, and let's vote on it. I'm not saying I'm fine with it, I'm saying let's, let's vote on it. But I, I, there, there should be a separation between Martin Luther King and Robert E. Lee, but I'm, I'm not sure if there should be a day for 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 Robert E. Lee, 
uh, separately. So, uh, I asked Charles Blake, uh, you know, he hasn't brought the bill forward like he did last year with Nate Bell. Um, he said he's open to the idea, but I asked him, you know, why hasn't anyone brought anyone it forward yet? He didn't quite know the answer to that. And I asked him, would it make a difference if a white legislator carried the bill versus a black legislator? And uh, before we go into this, the context is the state legislature is majority white by far. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And uh, in the in the in the environment we're living in here, here in our legislature, um, it not not only black and white, but but Democrat and Republican. So we're we're it's a very divided house. Um, we're we are of of the super minority. So um, we, you know, we we would be surprised if 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 we get things passed anyway. So it's, it's more it's it, it is a Democrat and Republican, but also having having some someone that's black go in and present and say, I I respect Martin Luther King. It's a federal holiday, federal holiday, national holiday. It should be a state holiday. Um, doesn't fall doesn't hold as much weight as having some as having a white person say it and and I and I hate to say that but it, but it's true you, you know you know you look not and to out not to single out not to single out but be, because be, that Martin Luther King was black and Robert E Lee was white it's, it's just that racial tensions are are incredibly high high within our state and we have to be honest about it so looks like a tough sell no matter what but they need a white republican who's not Asa Hutchinson <laughs> to step up and say I'm going to carry this bill yeah, and, and so far no one has. <laughs> You're right. So yeah, this this might be the last Martin Luther King Day, uh, Day Robert Lee Day that Arkansas will ever celebrate. But no one's no one's trying to make that happen right now. Uh, but here I asked Charles Blake if he'll be celebrating uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day or Robert E. Lee Day. <laughs> I will be in my raincoat in the south end of Little Rock, marching up and down Martin Luther King. So cool. All right, thanks a lot. It'll be safe now that Jermaine Taylor is not going to. I know. <laughs> Jermaine Taylor shot at somebody, a boxing champion. Yeah, I think a, a child, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he was messing with his, his championship belt. All right, so I guess we'll be back next week, and we'll. I, I think if anyone is going to file a Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Robert Lee Day bill, it'll probably be next week after the holiday, but it's kind of surprising. I guess they didn't want to have that fight in the first week during all this opening ceremony stuff to have like a huge, drawn-out fight because it's going to generate a lot of animosity between people. So it's going to be hard to work together if they're dealing with this bill. Right. And I'll I'll just say at the end, I happened to be tuning into the web stream at the organizational meeting of the state agencies committee uh, earlier in this week. It's chaired by Representative Bob Ballinger. Uh, Strong proponent of Lee. Uh, yeah. And uh, not uh, uh, certainly one person who is not afraid of filing uh, controversial legislation that right. that sparks a lot of debate. Um, he made a mention of the possibility of that bill coming before the state agencies committee uh, at their first organizational meeting, and said that it will get a fair debate. And you know, if the vote is close and it doesn't pass, there you know, it might come up again, or he might allow it to come up again, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, if the vote is not close. And um, it comes up again, you know, it's unlikely that it'll be heard again. So here's my two Bob Ballinger takeaways from the 2015 battle and committee. One was Rita Sklar at the ACLU testified to separate the holidays. Ballinger's response after the committee ended was he told me and a couple other reporters, he said, 
As soon as I saw the ACLU speak for the bill, I knew I was against it. <laughs> and uh, his other takeaway was he believes uh, that secession is, is, maybe not is, but definitely was a legitimate thing allowed in the Constitution. So that's the perspective the chair of the committee has yeah. that we'll be dealing with this. But that, you know, like he said, that doesn't mean he won't have a fair fair hearing on the bill. Yeah. Or, you know, the bill could be assigned to a different committee. But that's where it was assigned last year. So Yeah, no one in the Senate wants to take it up, I guess. It has to come through the House, it appears. That's, that's where all the action is on it. Right. And Arkansas is what, one of three states that celebrate the two uh, men like, together on the same day. Yeah, and then we have other, you know, we have other like Confederate Flag Day and or other holidays like that that are recognized on different days, but you know, it's not something that you see massive celebrations for. You don't no. see people or in Arkansas that, you know, besides the the newspaper is about the only thing that really mentions Robert E. Lee Day that I see. I don't see many community events like that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's the news from the week that was on KUAR's week. In review podcast, the first week of this 91st General Assembly, the second week of the U.S. Congress. But before we go, here's one quirky bill. It was my favorite. Greg Letting out of Fayetteville, a Democrat. Larry Teague out of Nashville, Arkansas, a Democrat. They passed a, or they filed a bill to have a state dinosaur. Oh, wow. So yeah. So my joke has been: uh, some people say the legislature wants to turn the clock back a hundred years. How about a hundred million years? Uh-huh. Yeah. The Arkansas Free Day or something. I'm Friday. glad you tried to pronounce it. I, I can't do it. Uh, yeah. And I don't know. That, that's my guess. Well, according to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, which I was informed by a scientist today, is slightly out of date. Uh, here's the big takeaway from this animal: the foot bones of the Arkansas Fridea are the only dinosaur bones found in Arkansas that have been brought to the attention of the scientific community. So Arkansas doesn't have very much doesn't have very much dinosaur heritage. <laughs> <laughs> but it just so happens that Nashville, Arkansas is where those bones were found for Larry Teague and a high school student in Greg Letting's district has been pushing for this project for about a year and a, a year and yeah, a half. Yeah, he sent us emails that we've ignored. <laughs> <laughs> hey, okay. All right, a quick quick quiz if we're doing state symbols. Chris, state bird. Mockingbird, correct? State tree. The loblolly pine tree. Oh, you're doing really good. State uh, flower. Apple blossom. The apple blossom. Uh, state instrument. The fiddle. The fiddle. Uh-huh. Uh, state mineral. The quartz. The diamond. Uh, yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's lot, there's, lots, of, there's lots of them. I think milk might be a state drink. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we, we need to get one of those cups in here that's got all the facts on the side. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, KUAR's Week in Review podcast is uh, uh, we're backed by the University of Arkansas Little Rock, though we're editorially independent. UAMS also helps us along with listeners like you. You can visit us at KUAR.org. Please make a pledge. Why not? Make a pledge to KUAR.org in the name of the podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Or if you just like going to the website to click on it, that's fine too. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Chris Hickey. Thanks. Bye.